I'm very firmly like a no regrets person. Everything happens for a reason. Every bad thing, every trauma brought me to exactly where I'm at today. But um, I do regret every dick that I sucked while I was trying to be straight. If I had a genie in a bottle and he said, Madeline, you get one wish and it has to be a regret that I will undo, I would say, genie, I wish for you to unsuck every dick that I've ever sucked while I was trying to be straight. Hi, I'm Madeline. This is Over and Out Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, which you should be if you're hearing this message, I am recording a special little intro for you just to let you know that I also have made this a video episode. It's also posted on YouTube with a little bit of a longer intro with a little more visuals. We'll get into the story and the meat of the episode soon, but when I do so, um, just know that if you want to watch it with some more pictures that are relevant to the stories that I'm telling, you can go ahead and watch it there or listen to me here. I love you either way. I'll be earnest for a second and say to everyone who sent me a message after last week's episode with like questions or comments to answer or just telling me a little bit more about yourselves and your coming out journey, just your support is so appreciated. When I was reading all of your messages, I was picking out ones to respond to. A lot of you wanted to hear about my first time sleeping with a girl. You wanted to hear about the first people that I came out to, how I made that great coming out toward people in my life after seven years of dating men exclusively, having an impressive resume as a heterosexual woman. And I would love to tell you those things, but I realized if I'm going to, I'm going to need to give you a lot more lore. My coming out journey was a little bit atypical to say the least, but actually... The more that I share pieces of my life on the internet, I realize that things that I thought were unique experiences are actually not that unique at all. They've happened to everyone. They just don't get talked about as much. So without further ado, here's the story from the very start. I grew up in Michigan with a Chinese immigrant father and a white mother, and I'm the oldest of four girls. And fun fact, 75% of my parents' four daughters are part of the LGBTQ community, so... My oldest, youngest sister, the second of the four daughters, has been out as a lesbian for as long as she's been out of the womb. She's just one of those people who stepped foot on planet Earth, took her first breath, and we were like, that's a homosexual. And she never had like a big fanfare in like a coming out process. She just like started living as herself and we all accepted it. We all knew it. My parents didn't do like a lot right when I was growing up, but one of the things they did do well was their relatively accepting of queerness. They were nothing short of accepting of their daughter being queer. And I saw that. So one might think that I'd be like, oh, being gay is okay. Maybe I could do that. But um, I didn't. And if I'm being honest, a lot of the reason why I think it didn't even cross my mind that I could be gay when I was younger, even though I was in a liberal area of Michigan and had accepting parents, was the fact that my home life was so tumultuous. My mother was very unstable and I became a primary caretaker for my three younger sisters pretty much immediately as soon as my sister started being born I was taking care of them as a parent would in addition to taking care of my very unwell narcissistic mother I actually don't have a relationship with her anymore I've been no contact with her for about four years almost exactly as long as I have been out as gay really all of the realizations in my life started to happen at once I think because I had so many responsibilities, so much pressure put on me from a young age, I didn't really have the mental capacity to think about my identity in a nuanced way. I didn't even consider my sexuality as anything that I should 
give a second thought to. All I knew is that I wanted to be a really good daughter to keep my mom and sister safe. And I wanted to get really good grades so I could get into a good college far away to start my own life and get a good paying job so I could support myself and build the security and safety and consistency that I'd never had growing up. Unfortunately, I also wanted to have the perfect body and the perfect diet. And thus, I developed a really severe eating disorder that I lost like many years of my life too. I spent about four years just in a revolving door of eating disorder rehabilitation centers, checking in, checking out, checking in, checking out. I can see now that it was just a really treasured coping mechanism that I had to deal with the trauma of my relationship with my mother and my family and also my repressed sexuality. But at the time, I just thought I wanted to be really skinny. I still get really emotional thinking about those years of my life because they kind of don't feel real to me. I think also because my brain was so deteriorated because of the deficit and the abuse that I was putting it through. I felt really, really alone for those years because my illness was so bad that I essentially pushed away everyone in my life. I had no friends. I had to drop out of school a couple times. I did have a boyfriend who was my one sole support system at that time. I'm actually so, so grateful to him still because I don't know if I would have survived if I hadn't had him actively caring for me, which is not how any relationship should be, not any healthy relationship at least, but it was what I was in at the time and it saved my life. And so if any one of the men whose dicks I sucked deserves to not have it unsucked, he is the sole one who deserved the experience. I won't make the genie take that from him. He can keep that. And weirdly enough, I actually owe my present day gayness to him in a way. He was actually the reason that I went to a residential treatment center for the first time, which if you don't know, was like a 24 hour think like rehab facility that you live in. It was in that treatment center that he forced my hand to go to that I realized I'm gay. It's not that residential eating disorder treatment was sexy in any way, shape, or form. But just imagine living in like a gorgeous mansion where you're with 14 other gorgeous women with self-esteem problems who are starving themselves. And all you do all day is just braid each other's hair and make friendship bracelets because they took your phones away and you're not allowed to watch any TV. Then you go to group therapy together and you bear your souls and you hear about everyone's deepest, darkest traumas and secrets and you're bonded forever. And it sounds like a vacation when I say it like that, but it was not a vacation by any shape of the imagination. It was the hardest shit that I've ever done. And also, there's just no way if you have a shred of gay in you that you're walking out of an eating disorder treatment center without it being unearthed. I think also because there was no men in sight, I was so divorced from the male gaze. And also nobody from the outside world can contact you. They take your phones and there is one community computer that you can use for probably like 15 minutes of the day. Nobody from the outside world can contact you at all unless you decide to go into the designated phone booth area and use the landline phone to make a call going out. So I'm in this little bubble and it was just this perfect shield from the outside world and all of the factors that were contributing to me hiding from my true self. For the first time in my 22 years of life, I had security, stability, and consistency. I had like clean sheets in my bed. I had adults that were there to take care of me emotionally and to make sure that I ate. And I think because I had that like baseline Maslow's hierarchy of needs met, and because I wasn't worried about caretaking anyone else like my sisters or my mother, and because I was shielded from the male gaze and my boyfriend, and because they were feeding me, and so I finally started to regain, you know, 
cognitive function. The gay floodgates opened and it was so confusing to me because I had a long-term boyfriend at home. He and I had just moved into an apartment with each other. Literally the day before I checked into that treatment center, he and I had signed the lease and moved in. Enter my gay awakening. One day, this other client checked in. It was pretty soon to when I was about to check out, actually. When I laid eyes on this person, I wanted him so bad. And I have never pursued someone so, like, forwardly. Since our time in treatment together, he has come out as a trans man and transitioned, hence the he, him pronouns. But I pursued this person with an unmatched fervor. I, I don't know where that confidence came from. A lot of you asked me like, oh, how do you start talking to girls for the first time? Was it nerve wracking? It was once I got out. But in that moment, once everything clicked, all I knew was I had to have this person. Usually I'm on the far other end of the spectrum where I want to be pursued. Not in this case. Not around here, partner. <laughs> Not around here. I think just after repressing it all for so many years, I could not wait another second. I threw myself at this person with everything that I had. And somehow, miraculously, my very first time ever hitting on a gay person, he bit and we had sex. Not only did I have gay sex for the first time in an eating disorder rehab center, but a nurse walked in in the middle of it. She walked in to take my vitals, caught us red-handed and knuckles deep and went, girls and then just closed the door and walked away and because she just closed the door and left i remember we were like is she gonna be cool about it no she wasn't she snitched she told all the therapists who separated us in different rooms so we couldn't get our story straight and made us say exactly what happened and honestly i didn't care because all i could think about was the fact that i had to go home to my long-term boyfriend in just two days i was set to discharge from the center and go back to my life with my boyfriend in the apartment that we had moved in with each other. The like pit in my stomach that I felt when the hours were ticking down to my boyfriend picking me up and taking me back to our old life with each other was devastating to me. And I just remember feeling so viscerally in my body that I did not want to go back. I couldn't explain why because I still thought I was straight. I retained that I was a straight woman who was experiencing some sort of malfunction. Like I've been living in a basement my entire life and someone finally just like let me come upstairs and see light. And now suddenly I was being asked to go back into the basement. Before it wasn't so bad because I didn't know what sun or a breeze felt like on my skin. And now I knew very clearly that the world was much, much more than that dark, sad, straight basement. When you leave like a live-in residential type of treatment center, you go do like a step-down program. It's kind of like a halfway house. And there were two options. There was one upstate near where my boyfriend and I were living, and there was one in New York City where my gay awakening was going. So you can imagine the option that I chose. I broke up with my boyfriend, and even though I had no money, no job, no friends, no family, I moved to the city and I started going to this like day program there. Actually, it was in that day program where I said out loud for the first time that I'm gay. I remember it was still very, very distressing for me at the time, and I was really unsure of it. I was in this like group therapy session, and we were going around. Everyone got like two minutes to say something that was going on with them, and I was like, I'm just gonna sit silent for two minutes. But when they called on me, it was as if I was a ventriloquist dummy, and something was like speaking for me. And I was just sobbing and blubbering the words, I think I'm gay. Oh, it's funny now, but it was not funny then. It was really, really distressing. I genuinely thought I had to marry my boyfriend. I thought my whole life was already accounted for and I didn't really have a choice. And coming out with literally nobody else in my support system was super difficult. 
But when I graduated from that day program, the compounding effects of all of the major life changes and identity crises that I was having was just too much to handle all on my own. And I relapsed really, really hard. It was probably the worst relapse of my entire eating disorder. It was the worst relapse of my entire eating disorder. It was just so bad and so miserable with no one there to stop me. I didn't have a partner to say, if you don't go to treatment, I'm going to break up with you. I didn't have school to say, if you don't get help, we're going to kick you out. I had no one saving me from myself. And I just pummeled myself into the ground. And as sad as it is to reflect on, I really think that I needed that. Because I had genuinely tried getting better so many times for other people, but I had never been doing it for myself. And I remember laying on my hardwood bedroom floor at the time. I was subletting like a shitty little room and I was laying under these sweaters and my winter coat piled on top of me because I was too poor to afford um, a mattress or any furniture. And I was freezing cold and I could just feel my body giving out. And I remember mentally kind of just stepping outwards, zooming out and seeing how sad the scene was and thinking, oh my God, I am so pathetic. There is so much suffering right now and I am the cause of all of it. Sure, there are things like the family I was born into, my financial circumstances and whatnot. But the thing that is keeping me trapped and stuck and suffering a million times over is me. I'm not giving myself a shot to overcome the hand of cards that I was dealt in life. So I checked myself back into treatment, this time on my own volition. And it was actually right at the very beginning of the pandemic. Like the day that I checked into the facility, New York shut down. I had a lot less dreamy of an experience this time. I didn't fall in love. I didn't have any flings. I didn't even really make friends. I didn't come there to make friends. I came there to eat with the sole intention of becoming less pathetic as a human being. <laughs> and it worked. When I checked out of the facility, I came back to New York and the whole world was on lockdown. It was really scary actually, because they didn't really tell us anything that was going on while we were in the program. We knew there was a virus, but we didn't know what it was going to be. It felt like very Walking Dead. If you are familiar with the show, I felt like Rick Grimes like busting out of the hospital after being in a coma for several years and then seeing that the whole world had been taken over by an apocalypse. And I still didn't have any friends and I still didn't have any family and I still didn't really feel confident in my sexuality. But I was like, Madeline, you literally saved yourself from the brink of a life-threatening illness so that you could eat pussy. So you better get your ass out there and do it. Your fucking ass up to work. And, and I did. Nevertheless, she persisted. Okay. I think that is all of the tea that you need for me to answer these questions that you left. How you feeling? A couple people asked this first one, which is, what was it like dating women for the first time? What were the differences? And what did you learn? Dating women for the first time absolutely trampled my little heart because I had not had experiences feeling genuine, like romantic love for someone, romantic draw towards someone. I had thought that I had experienced it with men, but it wasn't until I dated women where I really realized what it feels like to have your heart crushed. There was like the normal learning curve of deprogramming hetero dating scripts of like, who's going to open the door for who? Is she going to offer me her jacket? Should I offer her my jacket? Who's gonna pay for the bill? Are we splitting it 50-50? Side note, I have a formula for this if you are interested. 
if neither party makes significantly more money than the other, then the party who pays is the party who did not have to commute. If I have a date with someone and it's a 10 minute walk from my place, but she's embarking on a 40 minute train ride to get there, I am the one that picks up the check. Unless of course she insists. If she insists, who am I to deny her that? But yeah, unlearning all that was hard, but definitely not the hardest piece. I already knew I wanted to be with a woman. So it was something that I was gonna have to figure out and get comfortable with eventually. The biggest difficulty was learning what genuine heartache and rejection feels like from someone who you actually are wholeheartedly attracted to. Another question asks, did you come out to everyone in your life all at once or did you do it in slow bursts? I guess it's kind of both because the first person I came out to was my boyfriend. And at the time, he was the only person in my life. So I kind of did come out to everyone. And I effectively just scrapped that life, moved to New York and started fresh where I could just be who I was. I didn't need to come out to people. I could just tell them I'm gay and they didn't even need to know that it was my first or second time saying that. However, over the years since coming out, I've been gradually reconnecting and rebuilding my relationships with my sisters. We're all in a really good place again. We're all really close. I had to be quite distant from them for several years because when cutting off my mom, there was no real way for me to continue having a relationship with them if I wanted to maintain my no contact with her. It was a really, really hard decision as someone who had such a huge role in their upbringing to distance myself, but I had to do it in order to get to the place where I'm healthy and healed and on my own feet now. But now that I'm on steady ground and I've been rebuilding my relationships with them, I had no qualms whatsoever in letting them know that I'm gay, especially knowing that my younger sister is a lesbian, the other one is bisexual, and the other one is just cool. And maybe we'll be gay. Who knows? They're only 15. I do remember explicitly coming out to my youngest sister. We didn't have much of a relationship at the time, and it was my first Thanksgiving out of treatment since really, you know, committing to getting better. And I was alone on my apartment, sitting on the floor in classic fashion for the time. And I got a message from her saying, Happy Thanksgiving. Are you having a good time with, insert ex-boyfriend's names, family? Evidently, I had not even told her yet that I broke up with my boyfriend. So I told her, no, I'm not with him. We broke up. And she asked why. And I was like, do I say it? And I just typed back, because I'm gay. And I remember she was like, oh my god, really? That's so cool. And like, of course I knew she was going to be okay with it, but it still felt like a really big confession because it was really vulnerably exposing the person who I was becoming and who I had intentionally distanced a lot of my family from. But I knew I already had enough distance from my mother where I was safe. I didn't need to tell her explicitly because I don't want to have a relationship with her. But I let my sister know that, you know, if she wants to tell my mom, my dad, the rest of the sisters, it's not a secret whatsoever, but I just don't want to initiate contact with them for other reasons. And that's how everyone in my family found out. Final question. What can I do as a femme presenting person to appear more gay? Do you have any style tips for not looking straight? Okay, I swear I will give you a real answer because I know what you're looking for. But I'm also first going to give you an annoying answer, which is that you should be dressing in and wearing whatever makes you feel comfortable. I feel like almost every queer femme person goes through this era of being like, oh, people don't see me as gay. Maybe I should change my style. Maybe I should try these new shoes. And then people will see me as gay. They'll believe me when I say that I'm gay, all those things. And I feel like it comes from insecurity in our own identities because I tried it too. When I first came out, I chopped my hair to like here, which is for me really short. And I did a really 
blunt kitchen scissor cut in the middle of lockdown and I started trying to wear more baggy clothes. It was also, I think, in line with the fact that I was recovering from my eating disorder and didn't want to see my body. But all in all, I was trying to do all of this to almost paint a caricature of the person I thought I should be as a gay person. And like, the whole point of coming out, for me at least, was so that I didn't need to do that anymore. So I didn't need to perform any sense of who I was. I genuinely feel my most confident and beautiful and attractive when I'm wearing very feminine clothes, when I'm wearing makeup, when I'm curling my hair, all those things, all the things that I'm not doing right now. And so my annoying answer is, if it genuinely makes you feel closer to your queerness, if you get a sense of joy or euphoria from changing your style to be more queer, more visibly queer, then do it. But if your reasoning behind it is so that other people will clock you as gay and therefore validate you, you're giving them the power to tell you that you're queer. Give yourself that validation. Give yourself the authority to decide that you are gay, regardless of how you present yourself. At this point, I pretty much entirely dropped the guise of doing anything intentional to try to look gay or present as gay. And I probably dress more feminine and straight presenting than I ever have. And despite all that, people perceive me as the gayest that they ever have. It's nothing to do with how I dress and it's everything to do with the way I present myself, the things I say, the spaces that I go to, the people that I hang out with. Those things all read gay and those things are what feel like the heart and soul of my identity to me. So to give some actual advice, I'll first give you a non-style tip, which is find your community. That is what I found helped me most affirm my own identity and also solidified other people's view of me as a gay person in the community. When people see you out and about socializing, making connections with other gay people, they recognize it. If you have queer spaces in your area, go to them, meet the people there that run them, the people there that are regulars, make friends with gay people. And if you guys are all out and it's safe to do so, like post them online. It feels so validating to be able to be perceived by the public as gay. and. One of the best ways to do that is to just align yourself with the community. And as promised, also a couple style things because I do get it. First, long ass nails, too short on the dominant hand. For me, it's ring and middle. But for you, maybe it's pointer and middle. You know what? I stand on the side that no one is right or wrong. But for me, it's ring and middle. It's just cute. Even when I'm not sleeping with someone, I still do it. I just like it. It makes me feel like a pretty girl with a secret. Not, not that being gay should be a secret. But you know, there's like a certain enjoyment that you get when every gay person knows what you're doing, but every straight person is like, no, what did she do with her hand there? Did she just get hungry and chew two of them off? It's like an inside joke that we're all in on and some people aren't. And next I have two jewelry recommendations, both of which are not things that I have yet, but I am looking to add to my repertoire. I saw this shop on Etsy that did like very dainty carabiner necklaces and bracelets. It wasn't like an outdoorsy utility carabiner that you would put on like your backpack or your belt loop or something for your keys. It was this decorative little carabiner that was on a necklace chain and I want it so bad. Again, it's just for the subtle like cheeky nod. It's just for the inside joke. And lastly, a pinky signet ring. I also don't have one yet, but I really want one. I learned this from that one girl on TikTok who's like a lesbian fashion historian. I'm obsessed with every single one of her videos, just documenting the ways that queer women used to flag or signal to each other back in the day. The pinky ring I want less in the sense of like a queer inside joke and more in the sense of like 
a nod or an homage to all of the queer women who didn't have the privilege of living in a much more open and accepting society. Actually, one more. Fourth and finally, if you're super into any artists that have like a very gay fan base, like Mitski, Muna, Phoebe Bridgers, Boy Genius, buy their merch and just wear their merch. If you're sitting next to me on the subway with like a Claro tote bag, girl, I got it. You don't have to say anything to me. I know. While we've been talking, the sun has risen. It is officially the next day, and we have officially pulled an all-nighter together. If you have any questions that you want answered next week, or any thoughts or responses about this episode, please send me a DM on Instagram at saycheese. That's S-A-Y underscore Q-I-S. It'll also be linked in the description. Or if you're watching on YouTube, you can just comment that right down below. Thank you for staying up with me. There's truly no one else that I would rather sleep deprive myself for and trauma dump on than you. And I mean it. I'm Madeline, and I'm going to take a 20-minute power nap. Over and out.